My name's Fiona. I'm an author and a psychologist. I've spent most of my career speaking to people in depth about their lives, trying to work out what makes them tick. I absolutely love hearing about people's upbringings, backgrounds. Everyone is unique and fascinating. And now I'm so excited to be able to share some of these amazing stories with you. This week I speak to actress Kirsty Hoyles. We talk about having to look the part to get the part, juggling eight shows a week with motherhood, the stresses and strains of failure, and how self-assurance, not cockiness, is the way to success. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, so today I have a friend, um, someone I've known for a long time but haven't seen a lot of always, um, Kirsty. Hoyles for work, clinging onto that one. Yeah, so that's what I know you as yes. from school. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what is work? Well, um, my work at the moment is um, in I'm in the West End production of Mamma Mia, mm. playing um, Tanya, and I've been in that show since June. Um, in general, I would say I'm an actor, but I also do a lot of um, singing work um, separately of that. And that's what I've done since I left university, so for the last 20-odd years. Um, obviously, as any performer, you have to keep quite a few balls in the air in order to sustain yourself. So I've also taught, I used to do voiceovers, I've been a singing waitress, I've done all sorts of things. So you, you, when you arrived today yeah. and I said, well, are you still in Mamma Mia at the moment? Because last yeah. time I saw you was on a platform going up to London. Yes. Um, and you were saying you didn't know how you were going to rush out of that in time to get on the train coming home. So what? Yeah. tell me, what time train do you get home after the performance? Well, uh, the show's at uh, quarter to eight till um, about quarter past ten. Um, so I normally leave my house, kind of rush out the door at about ten to five, get up to town, get to the theatre, warm up, do the show, and I'm on the 20 to 11 train home and I walk in my door about 25 to 12. And does that ever make you anxious that you might miss that? Well, is there, is there another train? There's loads. One? No, it's a good, it's a good train service, so there's, there's a few, so I'm, over, I'm usually okay until about, I think the last one's about 12. So no, it's a long, it's a, yeah, all my work is squashed into the end of the day. And you do how many times a week? Eight. Eight shows Which a week. I just think yeah, Monday to Saturday, two Saturday and two Thursday. So I yeah. think when I do public speaking, mm-hmm. I'm it absolutely takes it out of me. So yeah. I enjoy it mm-hmm. and I get a rush from it. But if I do more than two or three a week, I am shattered. Mm. So I just do not know how you do that because not only are you performing, you're performing in a much sort of more prominent position in front of far more people and um, and it's very active as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is quite tiring, and I think. Um, but you build up a, a muscularity. I found it more tiring when I first started, um, mainly because I'm. All, I also have two s- small children, so just, I'm just getting that, that up. In. Yep. They they they're still coming in to see me at you know half past six in the morning, quarter to seven. That's whether I've got home from work late or whether I've been relaxing in the evening and gone to bed early. So I had to get used to just a new level of tiredness. <laughs> but I feel like I've kind of got into my stride now. And yeah, I mean, as a performer, you also get so much um, energy back from an audience when you're performing in a musical, particularly a musical like Mamma Mia, which is um, 
it's a really is a, it's a feel good show. People are going to enjoy themselves and to have a little break and have a little release and have a good time. It's, it gives them permission to just laugh and relax and have fun. And you get a lot of energy back, which I think is helpful as a performer. We you give out energy, but then when you're sucking it back to, and I can't you. believe I haven't been to see you. And oh, I'm, you must come. And I'm sitting here thinking, you must bring I the girls. Must bring they would love it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, one of those shows where you you look out into the audience and you see those children. Probably, I say five is kind of the bottom end for it. Five, six. But you see, you know, kids with their mums and their aunties and their grandmas and and they there is it, it really does appeal across generations. And that's there's not many shows that genuinely appeal across the generation because there's lots of things that just go straight over the kids' heads. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, 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 you know, I've had to pick and choose, yeah. or if at all, go to, to go to things. Because yeah. it's, it's not just their taste, but it's yeah. what's going to go over the head, what's going to engage. Yeah. And with mine, there's a six-year age gap. Yes. But, I, yeah, again, I'm sitting here thinking, why haven't I been? And there's quite a good one for that, because they'll, you know, my daughter's seven, and she... You know, she just, she loves, she loves the music and the colour. She loves any number where there's lots of people on stage. And, um, and yet all the kids will, you know, identify with Sophie, the more kind of teenage story of the daughter. And it's, you know. But I love, I bet she loves that mum's in it as well, doesn't she? she? Yeah, she does. Or I does think, it go over her head? No, I think she does. She's, she's really, um, she was really excited about it. I look quite different in the show, so I think she had to get used to that because I have a wig in the show so when I, I think she has to get used to me looking looking different but she um no she loved it she really likes the experience of like she came into the theatre early and she likes to meet people she likes to look at the program and she wants to know exactly who played who and she immediately knows if an understudy was on she said oh that wasn't the person who played no, really? she has to find him and yeah she likes to deconstruct it all and, and understand who's on. I think she understands the mechanics of theatre probably more than most seven-year-olds. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love but that. she, no, she loved it. That's she absolutely loved it, yeah. And uh, from a psychological perspective, mm. would you say you're an extrovert? My husband would say I am. I, I think I really enjoy my, I enjoy spending um time by myself I'm not I don't feel compelled to be with lots of people all the time but I never ever ever worry about speaking to someone I don't know standing up in front of people it's never I never even have a second thought about it yeah I might have a little bit a little bit nervous but no in general I probably am in that respect and what about your energy so you, you say you get energy back from yeah. the audience do you find that so take take yourself maybe a year or so back when you weren't doing eight shows a week you were mm -hmm. doing other things yep. do you find that when you're low energy being around people peps you up yeah yeah i think so yeah i do because it just i think you can you can get a little bit inside your inside your own head when you're on your own and if you're tired so yeah i do tend to find making an effort going to see a friend, going for a, going to see some, have a coffee with school moms, or, yeah, it does, it gives you a little bit of a reboot, and, um, and also when you've got children around, you kind of just got to, sometimes you've just got to pull it out the bag. And connect with some other adults. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, you really have. Um, so, if we, if we wind back a bit, so, you and I were at the same school, mm -hmm. but it's not that we hung out a lot. I mean, we're in different years, yeah. weren't we? But we knew each other and we had yeah. overlapping friends. Um, and I sort of followed roughly what you've done. Mm. I found it really interesting. And it's much, to me, much more interesting than sort of going down the stereotypical corporate route mm. or whatever. 
Um, but that must be hard at times as well because it means that you, you've had to forge your own way in what you do. Yeah, there isn't a clear path um, in that respect. It's a very subjective industry, so you can, you know, whereas with other jobs you have a CV of work, a qualifications, you have this experience, that experience, you can, therefore companies looking at you as a prospective employee can, can say you are a possible or you are not possible whereas really with acting it's totally subjective do they like what you bring mm. do you do you look right yeah, well, there's a whole load of factors which are um really quite almost beyond your control yeah. it's you know and so um that can be really difficult but also you have to tell yourself that that's part of this there's a million reasons why you don't get a job or you don't it's very rarely is it just about you or what you do it's often about who else is cast who else looks right? Are you tall enough? Are you small enough? And that's part of uh, my employment world, which isn't part of the normal employment world, and that can be frustrating and complicated. But, it's it's yeah. really interesting, because when I was looking your stuff up yeah. last night that you've done, and I came across, um, I think it's your representation, your management, and yeah. there's a lovely picture of you. Yeah. But then it's got your height, yep. your eye colour, yep. and these things I was sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, yeah, you know, they're just really things. strange. So you'd expect that, obviously, in the modelling agencies yeah. and, and that sort of world, but I hadn't, it hadn't really crossed my mind yeah. in terms of being an actor, yeah. that those things are so core to whether you get yeah. a role or not, whether yeah. you fit, whether you... Are employed so it's not just the forging your own way there's there's another layer to it in as fact well. in performing really look and type are in my opinion they're everything you have you know really you you have to have an ability but really in terms of the way you're cast in television in musical theater particularly it's about look and looking right and looking looking right for the roles that you're up for so your ability and your type kind of need to match the way that you look so if you're a soprano and you've got a lovely light gorgeous voice really ideally you need to be petite and small so you can play the young parts the little parts you see what i mean yeah, whereas if you have a very light soprano voice so you've got you're a six soprano. foot five you're six foot five and really big. You don't. The two don't necessarily match. If you've got, if you're a yeah. tall and strong-looking person, they expect That's you to have really a more tough. belty voice. So that can be tough because I know lots of people who, you know, I know bigger girls with lighter voices, and it, it it's about the two marrying together. And they don't always marry together when you want them to. So there's many people that come out of the in, of college and work immediately because everything fits at that point. But then they can struggle. When they get older, and there's others that come out of college, like my husband, for example, who was, you know, very, very, he was like six foot one, but nine stone with a big baritone voice. So he's really thin and blonde with a massive voice. Now he's working much more. Now he's 40 in terms of it's kind of built and built because the look and the voice fit together. So all those things are a factor in how you work. And psychologically, that can be quite brutal. Yeah, and stressful because you know you can do a part but they see it a different way so you just won't necessarily it's get really in the room. Tough. I mean yeah. the, the feeling I get from you now is that you have a very balanced robust view of it and you're resilient to it but I mm. imagine for you for anyone when you're 18 when you're 20 when yeah. you're what we call psychologically emerging adulthood when yeah. there's still a lot you're still very vulnerable yeah. emotionally. I mean, mm. we're always vulnerable emotionally. Yeah. That must be, can be quite soul-destroying, I would have thought. Yeah, I think it can be, it can be very hard. And I think drama schools were beginning to kind of 
look be aware a little bit more of the kind of mental health implications of going into an industry like this and just giving people the tools to deal with it mm. and understanding how it works because it can be quite I think in order to become an actor you've got to have a belief that you're going to work and that it's going to work for you and um, it can therefore be really really hard if it doesn't happen straight away and a lot of people leave the industry because of that oh. they leave quite soon well there's you know. a there's one lady that I met um, she is sister of a very well-known Hollywood star um, and she herself did acting and she found it uh, eventually she just gave it up she, yeah. she's done some really interesting stuff since but she hates LA yeah. and she hates LA primarily I think because of the way she felt that she was treated yeah. as a young actor yeah. and it must be very tough if your sister's getting the stuff and you're not yeah. as well um, but I think, you know, we're talking about women and um, minorities in different roles in organisations and whether they're fairly represented. Mm. And I know that we're talking about it when it comes to the movies, mm. but I think people who are slightly quirky looking or not mm. don't fit the stereotype often will get somewhere. Yeah. But what about like the normal acting industry like the, yeah. the not the everyday because it's not an everyday thing but what about the tv shows the mm. the west end shows there's there must be issues where you've got someone who doesn't fit a mold who's yeah. very very talented yeah. but they aren't going to get the role because yeah. they don't fit the mold yeah and i think you that that is often the way and that is what you have to hope is that something will come along that's just perfect for that person and suddenly they'll be off but it can take a bit of imagination sometimes from creative teams and casting departments in general um yeah i would i would say it's a real massively weighted in favor of looking right rather than solely about ability type. yeah it really, really is it's really about hard. look and type for example i'm not saying when like with mamma mia my the casting of me in comparison to the other two actresses that play the dynamos is about a balance of those roles and then wanting three actresses that firstly work well together but also are well contrasted in look. They don't want three women who are five foot six with brown hair. They want to have a contrasted look. So from my point of view, it worked well for me this time that they had uh, a small blonde actress playing one role and another one who was smaller with like cropped bleach hair playing the other. So me coming in as uh, with my look and type fitted well in that balance I might not have got the job if they'd had two women who were already similar in look to me so yes yeah, a lot of it's about that and so you have to be quite philosophical about things it's know. so interesting because when I'm profiling someone for a role I will be looking at so say it's um an exec team I will be looking at okay we've already got a marketing director who's got these skills and this yeah. personality and who's got talent and we've already got a uh, um, an IT director who's got that mm. so to an extent there is there's that element of what is their fit in terms of personality yeah. but it's never ever ever about looks no and it is and that's that is a factor that you just have to learn to deal with and it, yeah, it can be quite hard mm. but um, you know you've got to learn to be quite robust I think there have been points where I've found it quite difficult because I tend to if you can't get in the room, you can't get the job. That's yeah. when I find it hard, when I'm, when I'm not getting the meetings. But in general, I think I'm, my husband would say I'm probably more emotionally robust in terms of dealing with this industry than many. Mm. Um, I don't, I mean, I personally, I don't think I 
manage. Yeah, I, I get. I mean, I get insulted if I get turned down by one publisher. And yeah. My husband will point out. Yeah, but that's okay. Oh, the, that you have. To, yeah, I've had some extraordinary instances of. Yeah, you never hear you audition for something, never hear back. You can have so four audi- four four auditions, never even hear if you've not got it. I just think that's then so you rude. Do, then you hear who's got it when you see a casting announcement come out on Twitter. And you go, <gasps> well, I didn't get that then. And you think that's. <laughs> And they are, there is now a move in the industry to give people a no, and it's being pushed by um, equity, access equity and, and other performing groups, just to say, can we not just give people that courtesy of just giving them a no if it's not going to happen? Oh, Particularly if you've got down to, say, the last three or four for a role. Um, I don't think it takes a lot no. to just let people know they've not got it. But that's just, um, I mean, it's just, hum- it's just courtesy. Yeah, but it doesn't happen very often. So, so it's tough industry, really tough industry, but you've... you've made your way through you've you've had some really interesting twists and turns along the way you've won awards you've been in film you've been in tv yeah um so we strangely enough went to the same university mm-hmm. as well but didn't really cross paths there probably because you were doing interesting things with acting and i was doing interesting things with getting drunk ha! <laughs> ha! um but you you went to so how did it sort of evolve from from school where i knew you were passionate about acting there but how did it evolve into actually being your career I think I can't really remember a time when I didn't I didn't want to do it as a to to be a performer I mean I not that I didn't work hard at school academically and all of that because I did and my parents were quite keen that I you know I I work as hard I don't let any of that drop but I always kind of wanted to be a performer and I suppose yeah I went to school and then I I started looking at universities with theatre studies courses. The funding issue was very complicated when I applied to drama school. My, on paper, my parents would have earned too much to, for me to get a grant to pay for my fees, whereas at university, I would have got my fees paid. Oh, right. There's a, a, this is a slightly different balance now with a lot of drama schools now offering degree courses. But when I was looking to apply, it was really we a more sensible option for me financially, for our family, for me to go to a university course where that course would be funded and um yeah so I I really loved Warwick University I liked that it was a campus it it had a really good uh theatre and performance studies course that um you know I I thought it looked really fantastic and then when I was there I discovered that there was an incredible amount of student drama that was happening in an extracurricular capacity so aside from my course I got quite involved with all of that um, and those student societies had said access to the Warwick Arts Centre, which is a great professional receiving house, and they That's have two amazing. venues there. And the students would have six shows in the studio and one in the theatre every year. That was just. The, you see, I missed all this. That this was is just awful. Well, well, you know, it was. You were very busy doing other things. Well, no, I mean, not I, on there. I played the piano. I went to the practice rooms at the, the music centre. Yes, yeah, yeah. and I learned had singing lessons there for the entire time. Yeah, I actually had singing lessons there as well Did because you? I was singing in a band at university and I thought it would help me to project my voice better so I was having singing lessons there and doing my piano practice there just because I like the music facility was good there really good yeah and I think um so I was working doing those plays at college in quite a professional environment because it was a a professional theatre space and we would have it for the week it was amazing yeah it was lovely so then we went to and all those shows you had to audition for and I went to Ed- the Edinburgh Festival and we won a, a big student drama award there. Went to the Scarborough Student Festival. So I just did more and more and more while I was at university, really. And then um, I was also having singing lessons. And I'd done all my singing grades one to eight when I was at school. So it was just continuing kind of that 
that training. And then, um, yeah, so then it, it, I, graduated, I came, to, came to leaving and I moved to London. And um, we weren't really, I, I moved with a, with a flatmate who went and did one year at Lambda. We weren't really financially in a position for me to do a one-year course, having done a degree. Yeah. So we just thought. So I just started auditioning for things. I got, you know, the stage, and and that was the hardest thing about doing a university degree and then going into acting is that the uh, showcases and the connections aren't yeah. made for you. Yeah. You have to get out there and do a lot of that on your own when you've come from university because it's not a nap. They don't have. We didn't have a showcase or a platform. A platform Again, for agents to come and agents to come and see you. Yep. You're just out there on your own. Once you go to a drama school, and you will have those opportunities to meet people within the industry who can then take you on or represent you. Um, so that was. Um, but what it does give you is a friendship base and a grounding of people who aren't all wanting to do what you want to do. Of course, there were people who had gone on to be performers, but I lived in a halls of residence and nobody on my halls was even on my course. They were mass engineering, psychologists, indifferent. So I think that's the lovely thing about university. It gives you a slightly more balanced view, whereas at drama school is a real hot house of everyone wanting to do exactly the same thing. Mm. And that level of competitiveness. Yeah, and, and, and of course you drive each other on and you're learning from each other and, and I'm sure there's a lot of support as well that happens. But, but I felt like for me it was nice to... To just, to, and I think maybe that's, a, my husband would say he reckons that's affected and uh, in a good way the way that I am as a performer and, and the actress that I have become because I've come from a place, uh, a studying background which is just a little bit different from a drama school. And did he go to drama he school? He did, yeah. He went to Guildford School of Acting, which is a really great college. He was on a musical theatre, three year course. And where did you two meet? Uh, we met in rehearsals for a. Um, for a show uh, that was about 13 years ago and we were it was a six-hand musical and I was understudying all the three women and he was understudying the three men oh how romantic well yeah so we spent a lot of time sitting next to each other watching other people learning and trying to learn it and um yeah and then the show was pulled oh and no we rehearsed for three weeks and then it, the whole tour was cancelled did you get any pay no we were <gasps> probably I think I was owed about you don't you don't get fully paid but you owed a certain amount of money which we never got no, oh, wow. the producer went to prison for VAT fraud. <gasps> really? So at least something good came out of it. <laughs> we <laughs> oh my we then started seeing each other in, you know, 13 years later. Wow. But yeah, so that's how we met, yeah, working. And you, because you do such a, a range of things, very versatile in terms of um, what you're capable of, and that's from a layperson's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, what, what's your favourite? I mean, what are the things, what have been the highlights for you? What are the things that you think that that's what, that's what really makes my heart sing? Yeah. I think, I seem to like any, any role where I feel challenged, mm -hmm. any role where I feel that I'm playing somebody who is a bit different from me. That doesn't okay. always happen. So, this role is really fun because she's quite this role by me and Tanya and Mamma Mia. She's she's quite a construct. She's quite different from from me, and it's really fun to get to to play roles like that because it usually often getting cast to type. Quite often how it works. Again, so to play someone, to yeah. So to play someone as a although uh, with, whose personality she's just she's it, that's quite fun. Um, I like shows where I feel I've had a 
you know, a real creative input where I feel like, and I did spend, spend, spend at the Watermill, which was... Uh, Is that the one you won a award for? Yeah, but, and that was for Craig Rebel Horwood. And it was an acting musician production, so everyone played, apart from me. Um, but mainly that's because I had a lot of stage time, so I didn't really have time to play. You know, I mean, when you so say I play? They all played instruments. It okay. was no band, so it was a full musical with 12 performers, 11 of whom were really oh, skilled wow. mu um, musicians as well. So they were the band. That's so you're in a pub and someone's talking to you and they've, they've also got a double bass and, oh, or a flute or a guitar. And you just, the instrumentation, if it's done very well, just becomes part of the storytelling and you don't, it doesn't distract you at all. You don't think, you don't miss, you don't miss having a separate band. In fact, it's all the better for having everyone telling that story Brilliant. together. So it was a good example of that genre working at its very best, I think, that particular show that we did. And I felt that we were all part of a really exciting creative process and the role was hugely challenging and really fun and and um, so that I really loved. Equally, I'm really enjoying, I've really enjoyed the television work that I've done and the film. It's like a totally different discipline and um, to understand the the way in which actors, film and television actors work at that level is, is so interesting and it's like a whole different process. You realise when you watch a film and you're taking on a journey by the way the film is made or by an actor's performance that nothing they did in the filming of that was in order or in sequence so they have to do that in their head mm. which is really interesting you have to look at the script and go where am I in this the character's journey at this point okay well we're here so you need to get yourself in the right headspace in order that when they do edit it all together the arc of the character works. You see, it's what's really Whereas in a play, you start at the beginning yeah. and you end at the end. Yeah. And in a way, where well, they've got a live audience, you 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 go on that journey and you build. You never have to come in and go. Well, today we're filming the scene at the right at the end, and it's like two weeks into the shoot. <laughs> that must be so, so difficult. You, you see, like I do have a new respect for film for you know great film actors because you know that they've done a lot of that legwork themselves. They've had to get into the right headspace, keep keep track of of where the character is because. Not everything is shot in order. Because you, know. you were in Les Mis. Yeah, I was. That was a great experience at, um, because I'd done the show um, in London and I loved being in the show. But um, And they did see, when they cast it, the casting team from Cameron McIntosh were involved to a certain extent because they were planning to sing everything live in the, sh in the film. So they needed people who, really? yeah, it was all the, all the music was recorded live and sung. So they needed people, ideally, who could sing and who... And it was advantageous to have some people who knew it. But obviously there's thousands of actors who've done Lamis. It's been running at that point for 25 years, it's been running. So there's a lot of a lot of people who've done it. So they Cameron's put together a list of people who they thought might be right. And then the casting director, who's a film casting director, filtered that down. So the whole process was quite different, and we knew there was no guarantees if you'd done the show that you'd get the film. Because in the show you're in a big theatre space, and when you're performing the same material to a camera which is here it demands like a totally different um level of performance but you still you know so not everyone is is a right fit for that so it was um yes i had about a couple, three auditions maybe for that um and yeah we got off of that and i did um about a week on it we rehearsed with um a small number of actors that had featured bits in the large scene so it's quite a large scene and there's about six of us who had featured stuff yeah. and then there was anne hathaway and hugh jackman and then we rehearsed with them for a few days and then um, brought everyone else in and we filmed on set uh, on location at Chatham Docks. Oh, was it Chatham Docks? Yeah, where they shoot Call the Midwife. 
uh, the exteriors for Call the Midwife. This you because you've been in yes, Call the Midwife. Yeah. I love Call the Midwife, yes. and I need to work out which episode or not work out, but ask you which episode you're in. It's series three I was in, so quite early third series. I shall find out which I think like six. Yeah, and that was another. No, I so I, I that was an, another one that I I auditioned for and then lost oh lost the role because they cut the character. Oh no. Yeah, and. Um, I was pregnant at the time and a little bit emotional. Oh, <laughs> so no. I really wanted to do it. Cut the character and then a year later they rang back and said, we really liked her. Would you want to come and read for this part instead? Oh, brilliant. Which I did. So then I did get to do it, which was nice. I'm interested. Um, Cats. Yes. The movie. Yes. Have you seen it? No, I what, haven't seen it. What are your thoughts on it? Because I'm just thinking... Talking about Les Mis, and yeah. obviously Cats, they've transformed into... It. It's not got amazing reviews, No, it? It, it's interesting, isn't it? I think... Um, I love the show. It's one of the first... You're talking about... Uh, you were asking me before about things that have influenced you or moments that you remember. Well, seeing Cats when I was eight was one of the things that... I mean, I, I have such a vivid memory of the, of the experience of watching that show. Um, it had a huge impact on me, and I, I was... You know, I didn't realise something could have that kind of impact to live theatre production. Mm. It was brilliant. That's really um, interesting. It was, yeah. It was, you know, it's to do with the revolving stage, oh, the theatre in the round, the, the the fact that the there was no, there seemed to be no barrier between the audience and the stage, which I hadn't seen before. And I had actors coming up next to me and cats next to me, and it was we were very involved. So I think a lot of people loved the show, I and mean, it was on paper. No one ever thought it would work. You know, we got a musical about cats. Uh, and actually, it turned it was of course a huge hit. Um, I quite like the fact that in the filmed version of the musical, the original, they filmed the musical using the set. I like the fact that the actors didn't look like naturalistic cats; they looked like dancers yep. dressed as cats. They were in dance wear oh, that was they? patterned with little leg warmers and little wigs. But in general, there was no mistaking the fact that they were dancers. Whereas I feel like a slight strange quality in the film is the kind of strange kind of human faces furry bodies vibe that I think people have been put off by. yeah I think the choreography looks in incredible and loads of the, the casting's amazing yeah well, I think they're, they're you know I know how I know people who auditioned and didn't get it I know people who have did get it and are in it and you know the standard of people they've got in it is incredible the dance, level of dance but it's um no, I, I need to reserve judgment really till I've seen it. Oh, you've got to go and see. I know because I did. I did. Love <laughs> I want to review. Yes, I shall get back to you on that. <laughs> but uh, dancing, you dance. I dance I a bit. I would say uh, I dance well enough to get me the jobs that I should get. I sh I'm not going to be getting a job in Cats the Musical playing like a full-on dance part, but I've got a good enough level of dance to get me through uh, what I would normally do, say an actor's movement call. And then when I get into the rehearsal room, I usually the choreographers find I can do a bit more than they thought. I've had that before. So I've got the job on the basis that I'm in as an actress yeah. to play this role, to understudy this role and to sing well. And then I've got in the room and I can usually do more than they think choreographically. I just can't always pick it up at speed yeah. in auditions because well, it's not my first language. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really good description of it because mm. I think it is like a language. It really is, isn't it? yeah. I think if you see people who dance all the time, they will just be able to watch something and repeat it totally. straight away. Totally, it's incredible to me because I can't do that, really. I'm obsessed with people who can. It's amazing. But yet I bet you look at lines and remember them far quicker than if you put the same text in front of me. Yeah, I think 
That's true, and like my husband, and musically I'm quite quick at learning, so I can usually hear something and could sing it pretty quickly know it I can I learn things which other people music again will look at yeah. and go wow I can learn music and harmonies incredibly quickly whereas um, my my other half is he finds that more difficult but then he's quicker on the uptake with dance he, he can learn it quicker but I usually yeah once I get someone who's prepared to be a bit patient with me then I can usually do quite a lot move, move, I'm alright movement wise yeah so I guess that's an example of where you bring a bit of creativity to a role is saying yeah. this is what the role is meant to be but actually I can add this spice to it as well yeah and also it's funny a choreographer said to me once who he said I feel in the long term I get a better performance sometimes out of actors doing the choreography um, than someone who can dance it well straight away because what what you actually need to do to dance is also tell the story through the dance and sometimes he said if you give an actor a bit of time and give them the choreography once they really know it they then are often able to tell a story with it a little bit better than mm. someone who's who isn't an actor so he I think a lot of choreographers are quite patient with actors the good ones are because they know if they can be patient and get you to learn it the storytelling you give will be good That's fantastic. you know I mean it is all about storytelling okay. so the music the singing the dancing the best dancers the best dancers tell stories through what they do and, and can work the choreography into the storytelling i have a number in the show that i do and one of the boys that the boy that i mainly do the number with he's really really good at that he he can do all this crazy choreography and it looks like i'm throwing him around and pushing him about but it's just it's him using the choreography to help tell that story he's just really good at it and I think that's a real skill that great dancers have. Yeah, it's interesting because when you watch Strictly Come Dancing yes, yes. and there's someone who's a bit useless at yeah. dancing and you see their partner doing yeah. it. So you can see, you, I mean, if they're really bad, you yeah. can tell. And obviously these are people that have never danced in yeah, their life. Yeah. And some of them make just amazing transformations. Extraordinary, it's isn't just, it? You look at it and you think, how? Yeah. Can, well, at the end, they look like a professional dancer. Yeah. But what's interesting is when you have that professional dancer with someone who's a bit more of a sort of yeah. got two left feet. Yeah. And they will just dance around them and make them look like they're, they're actually the doing something. Yeah. Even with those people who we know yeah. can't really, you know, yeah. strut their stuff. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and on Strictly, I think that's what's lovely is it brings it to the world. Yeah. The complexity, the work, yeah. the skill. Yeah, I think that's that's really I haven't thought about it. isn't that is the lovely thing about Strictly and I think it helps them when people do come and see shows and other performances they begin to understand how much work it takes to to get to that kind of level because I think there is a bit of a in the current kind of Instagram vlogging world this idea that you can anyone can become famous and successful mainly what I try to stress to people that I teach is becoming a successful actor or a performer in musical theatre or in any field of performing arts it requires you to work really hard and that i, I think that's such work an really important hard. message for for well for young people mm. i know it sounds really cheesy but i think there is this idea that you can you can become famous straight away yes but mm. suddenly you're also an expert you're an expert actor you're an yeah. expert dancer you're an expert singer you're an expert psychologist and yeah. you're offering advice to everyone is that yeah no actually it takes time and effort mm -hmm. to get to that place and it's worth putting in the time and the effort but if you deconstruct people like you know massive stars like Taylor Swift yeah 
she still put in the time and the effort yeah. and the instant stardom is I think it's a real issue because I think it just perpetuates this feeling of failure yeah. when people don't get that instantaneous yeah. so if you know you've worked so hard at what you do maybe if you were a different version of yourself and you'd mm. grown up in a world where there was this expectation that it all happened instantly yeah. you wouldn't have felt so rebuffed yes I think there yeah I think and also everyone's life is under a microscope all the time and people are you know set, uh, uh, putting an image of themselves out there to the world and I think when that image then doesn't it, they find it then difficult to sustain if things aren't going their way and things aren't working out. I think it's it is harder now going through um, achieve trying to achieve a career, trying to work, trying to develop when you're under that kind of um, social media spotlight as well. There is a lot of um, people aren't as robust at dealing with things when they don't go how match the image they're projecting, which I think is um, from from sort of psychological perspective mm. is because they haven't had the training and yeah. the training is actually naturalistic if we take away those platforms yeah. we learn through the fact that we have failed at something and yeah. then we learn how we respond to that and yeah. it might not feel very nice mm. but then we'll try again and yeah. sometimes some people will end up going down a bad path yeah. and, and get in a muddle mm. but then other people will say actually do you know what I think when I failed last time and then I went and saw my friends and they made me feel okay. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, I'm going to try again. Yeah. That worked for me. But mm -hmm. if we're taking that away yeah. from people and we're, we're live, they're living their lives only on these platforms a yeah. lot of the time, up to eight hours a day, one statistic says, on wow. screen time yeah. for children. That's terrible. Um, I mean, that's a US statistic. Yeah. But you just we, we're taking away those tiny little nuanced um behavioural interactions yeah. and experiences mm. that we normally have all day, every day, yeah. which is quite worrying. But it's not, let's not put down on things. <laughs> no, no, I think it's, it's also talking about failure, isn't it? And I think it's important when, and in, to talk about and to make, when I like it, when well-known people who've become very successful talk about the times when things didn't go well for them and when they had to continue to yeah. or change a path or change a route or reevaluate things because from the outside it's easy to think that someone's life is perfect and someone's absolutely. it's always worked and actually most people's have got a history of times when it didn't absolutely and we all need to well i think everyone those. has of course they? and yet and i think that the social media world can make you think that they, that they don't that it's no. all perfect is what's presented and you know it is about your life your, your judgment i think really your personality is formed by how you deal with the the knocks and the failures and and working through them and, and trying to carry on absolutely you know it's what makes you stronger isn't it it is what makes you stronger what's actually another thing that um just on this thought of social media it's something that crossed my mind i think your children are too small for this but mm. my eldest likes tiktok have you heard of tiktok no. um so i'm i'm probably overly strict with social media and mm. she probably hates me for it mm. well i don't think probably i'm sure she does um but one thing we have let her have is this tiktok okay. where they have to learn dances and it's not becoming a dancer yeah but actually you know i think i don't mind that so much yeah. because she's spending her time learning a routine which has to be doing something cognitively for yeah, her yeah. and helping her brain make connections and then sharing it with her friends. And it's yeah. fun. Yeah. I, mean, I think she spends too long doing it, but yeah. I kind of think, well, at least it's an activity. At least it's actually 
doing something rather yeah. than just sitting and pulling faces that look like a cat's bottom oh. at, the, at the screen. I that really, yeah, I totally agree. That's that that all of that stuff really bothers me. All of the selfieing and the Instagramming. I mean, that's a lot of young people in my company. You know, that lots of them are very young. And they're all over the social media all the time, but I just think it's yeah. it's really hard because I know yeah. that parents who have with all the I mean every parent wants the best for their kid. No one yeah. goes out to think I want my kid to be damaged. Yeah. But kids have have let their kids go on social media, and some of them who we might say is addictive personality, which isn't proven yeah. from a scientific perspective, but actually go down this road where they're suddenly trying to get more followers, more followers, more yeah. followers, more followers. And their parents are looking and going, we need to stop them doing that. Yeah. But you can't because they have to have that interface for doing homework and all these yeah. other things. Yes. So it's really, really hard. Very difficult. Anyway, this gets me cross. This is yes. where I think the big commercial organisations should actually take a little bit more responsibility. Because mm. I don't think it should be up to parents. No. Um, to an extent, of course, because we're yeah. parenting. But it's really hard Very for hard. parents to make those rules. Mm. Um they should be taking responsibility. Yeah. Anyway, that's my piece on that. <laughs> so how long is Mamma Mia going to run? Do you know? I'm, well, it's, I'm contracted till June next year. Oh, that's good. Um, and I will, I've just been asked if I would like to stay in the show and then they will assess who they want to stay in the show. Oh, right. And they'll let me know the if they want me to again. stay in yeah. the show. That, in which it. case, I might stay for another year. I don't know. I'm enjoying it. Um, it's working surprisingly well with my family, although it's, you know, we have complicated childcare issues because Mark's in the show as well. So we are... But it's, you know, it's, it's providing, at the moment, me with at least a routine that's regular, whereas a lot of the time with my freelance work and performing work, I'm, I'm there and then suddenly I need childcare three days in a row and all of, all, all of it last minute, whereas at least at the moment I'm, I can plan in what I need week to week, which is good. Um, and um, the show's enjoyable, and really lovely, lovely people, and they care about keeping the product really good, even though it's been great. running a long time. They're very, um, they're really thorough with That's making, great. it's never, it's never, uh, there's well, something you can feel of, proud of yeah, being part even, of. and it's been running for a long time but it's people someone came to see it the other day she's a performer and she just said it's so fresh it feels so fresh and just like it was just made yesterday that's brilliant which is really good so I, I'd happily stay in it but I'm in at the moment I'm there till June we'll see um, you're teaching are you doing that as well at the moment um, do you know what I'm not teaching that much at the moment I've got a couple I will do a couple of, have a couple of pupils in half term I've taught a little bit at, I've taught at a few drama colleges uh, yes ICMT, so I've been teaching there, and I teach a little bit from home, um, but I have taught a lot in the past. And um, so that's individual tuition? Uh, it's individual tuition, which I do at home. When I teach at, at drama school, it's, it's mainly uh, class, class teaching, um, voice work, uh, rep, teaching people how, you know, how to present songs for auditions, giving them notes, giving them advice, um, character study classes, scene work. So that piece around the audition, in a way, you're offering that support that people may not get otherwise, that we talked about earlier, yeah. is understanding how to present, but also how to uh, respond to knockbacks. Yes, how to deal with that and how to, and how to, to just to make sure you're doing the, the very best you can and choosing the right songs for you is talking about type. Know what understanding what your type is is really important as a performer, knowing where you fit, okay. and helping young people with that because a lot of young people in their heads are going to tell me they want they can play Christine Daae in Phantom of the Opera, and you need to make sure they understand 
where their strengths are and how the industry works and it can be really tough sometimes you're saying to somebody you're never going to that's never where you're going to be you need to think about things in a different way and there are room for characters in this industry there's room for all sorts of people but you need to understand your type find the songs that showcase that and and that will and you will give yourself the best chance of moving through the industry so that's part of training young actors now helping them to understand where they fit that's brilliant but well, again the the sort of the, the, the similarity with what i believe in yeah. what i do yeah. is so i i'm working i'm moving from working with mainly senior people but there i'm saying to them what are your strengths yeah where can you shine look if you're not good at finances don't try and become a financial whiz make sure that you understand them and you've got a, a sort mm -hmm. of you know if someone's trying to pull the wool over your eyes, but make use of your CFO or your finance mm -hmm. director. And then if you're good at communicating, communicate. Mm -hmm. Do that, become better at it. But that, again, is something that I don't think we help young people enough with because mm -hmm. for all the wool in the world, we're sort of training them up with academic grades and things, but mm -hmm. we're not saying, what are your strengths and how yeah. do you understand yourself and how do you explore where you're going to shine mm. and that might not be being a doctor or a lawyer that might yeah. be being um a policeman or yeah. and i know it's complicated but i just think what you're doing with these young people specifically in view to acting mm. is something that all young people should have the opportunity yes. to do with someone yeah is explore in whatever field yeah understand what their strengths are and because if you truly understand what your strengths are, that's when that's, that's when, when you shine and shine and get the job. And also when you're happiest. Mm, totally. Because you feel more fulfilled if you're pursuing your strengths. Yeah. And what I often find with women, and actually you you're very self confident, mm. but even hearing you saying it is, we take for granted, and it's meant to, what we can do already. Yeah. So we don't see that always as a strength. Yes. So you said you know I can I you know I can sing and I can. Mm. And it's like, and you did later allude to the fact that you can pick up a tune quickly yeah, and yeah. what have you. But it's that, actually, do you know what? I I can't just sing. I'm a really good singer. Um, yeah. Or I can't, you know, a lot of women that I work with at senior level say, well, I mean, everyone can do that. That's just, no, it's not just. Mm. It's something you do really well. Mm. You need to recognise that and let it shine. Yeah. But it's all nuances of behaviour and... But it's, again, the interesting thing for me is how within your actual industry mm. that plays out and how you're supporting that. Yeah, I think you... I often feel that you, like, in terms of what you bring into an audition room, it's like you do need to bring in your personality, what you do. I think a lot of people, you see young performers trying to fit into a mould or try to bit the really... The, the, I, I feel much... I tend to do better in auditions if I just feel like I really am going in there and being totally myself and everyone has their stick that's them and that's you need to be unafraid of that mm. as an um and that sometimes that's what can just get you the job mm. that kind of just bringing your personality in and, and being someone described it as to me once as being the AA man in an audition the AA man yeah so meaning that when you are a car uh, a broken down car on the side of the M1 you're seeing all these cars coming past and you're looking at these cars going, is that the AA? Oh, that's not the AA. It's not the AA van. Oh. Is that the AA van? No, it's not. Being, when the AA van arrives, they arrive, they have the tools to do the job. They're not showing off about it, but they're confident and they know 
that they can solve the problem for you. They get you car sorted and off you go. I it's love that, that analogy in an audition. It's not being over cocky no. or showing off. No. It's coming in knowing I, I, I possess all the tools to fix your problem, to cast this role, to find this part. I possess all of those tools and I'm going to show them to you now and I'm going to solve the problem for you. It's having that mentality, which is a good balance between showing off yeah. and being irritating and being not being underconfident, just going in and really believing that you can practically solve that. Because that's what they are. They're, they're in a car on the side of the M1 in that audition room and they're waiting for the right people to come in. Beautiful and you, analogy. And I, that, I it. liked it. And it may, I often use it with students because it just gives you... It's walking that balance between confidence and cockiness, which which and, is, is a fine line. And I think it's particularly, performing. and it's not just performing. Again, I think it applies to in life. Job, yeah. Because I think when mm. you're in your early 20s, I mean, when I was in my early 20s, I was incredibly underconfident, but also quite cocky. So there was this combination of, I can do anything. Yeah. And a lot of young people, I think, will look at the CEO and think, well, I could do that role. Yeah. A bit like the Instagram thing, it's probably exacerbated it slightly. Yeah. But it's this, and what I talk to, to leaders about, again, is this, it's sort of a quiet confidence. You can be loud, but your confidence yeah. is settled and it's quiet yeah. and it's comfortable. There you go. Yeah. And it's something that feels like it fills the room in a way that other people want to look to you yep. rather than it's got these sharp edges where yep. people are like oh for goodness sake exactly. shut up yeah or or you're overconfident which in leadership means you make bad decisions yep. and take the organization off on the wrong track and mm. what have you but with young people that's hard because you're trying to find yourself still mm. and I think being able to d- explain it with that lovely analogy yeah. is great because it's saying it's that it's just that level of ease and comfort that you yep. go in with yeah. I'm comfortable, I know I can do this. If I'm not right, I'm not right. Yeah, that's exactly, and that's exactly the mentality I try and have for auditions, and I think it's, it's, it's what I would try and encourage young people to have going into meetings and to not be afraid to be, to be totally yourself. You but know. What I love as well is when you came in today, it's, that's your persona. Yeah. So you're very calmly confident. You're not, yeah. you're not cocky. You, you're very um, self-assured, but it's not in a way that feels sort of belittling or um, that it's just, it's, you fill the room and, that, mm. and that's a real um, skill. Yeah, I suppose. I, and I think, I don't know, it's nice that you say that, but I think, um, and I think part of that is, is through just, yeah, it takes a while, I suppose, to be totally comfortable as yourself and I think it is hard for young young performers and young people in any any field to get to that point quickly you're asking them to fast track aren't you yeah. just going. but I think it it's um some people never get there no it's true and I've I've worked you know I, we work with people who but I I will you also know when you're working with someone who is also like that and the acting profession is full of it's, it's full of a diverse range of people and some are kind of more overbearing and <laughs> their insecurities are all out there but that can also make them brilliant because that edginess can sometimes be what makes them really watchable when it all connects yeah. on stage. Um, but I've never been that kind of actor. I've always been a little bit, just a little bit more relaxed in the room. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's very, I, I think it's quite tiring. Some actors, you know, have that kind of adrenaline wound up in them all the time. It must be quite like tiring that. actually being that person. Exhausting. Yeah. And being with that person. Yeah. Um, but then there are the other type of actors, aren't there? That uh, I mean, if you're talking about extremes, yep. there's the type who are actually very shy and very... There's a lot of actors who are surprisingly shy and only really 
become confident when they are assuming a role or on a stage or in a you know you see someone like Ray Fiennes interviewed he's really quiet and really measured and, and a lot of actors are like that they I are thought... quite shy and then you see then there's actors like James Corden who I mean he's more of a performer now but you know massively confident hugely gregarious and and yeah because I am um, and I, I don't know because I've never met her and I don't know enough about her but when I saw Renée Zellweger yeah on Graham Norton I got the feeling that she just didn't feel comfortable in her own skin but yeah. when she's performing she does yeah. seem comfortable in her own skin yeah and I think a lot of actors are like that they don't like being scrutinized as themselves mm. they like to they feel much more comfortable when they when they have the armor of a, a, of a character wigs make up the whole look to kind of protect them and that allows them to be a very emotion weirdly to be more emotionally raw than they can be in their real life when they're interviewed as themselves. Fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And so for me, when I was at school, I don't know if you remember me this way, but I was quite shy. But I loved the idea of acting, but I never, ever had the confidence to go along and do it. Mm. So it's wonderful seeing into that world. And what's interesting is yesterday, I spoke to someone on the phone about doing a talk somewhere, and we got into quite a deep conversation, and she's just finished... Well, she's about three years out of university. And she said she'd just gone and done acting classes. And, and she said, I think you should. I think it would be good. I mean, this was a deep conversation. Yeah. which, <laughs> And I thought, maybe I should, you know. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe yeah. it's um, something I should try, because it's something that's always... I mean, I don't, I don't expect to be on the West End. But, you know, just... just you know, it's, it's a fascinating medium. And one thing I'm passionate about is storytelling. Mm. And that's what you do every single day, every performance. And it's the other thing I'm obviously fascinated yeah. by is emotion. Yeah. And how you connect emotionally with people in that environment is yeah. the, with the atmosphere and you, you're really getting into someone's brain. I mean, you yeah. described when you went to Cats. Yeah. And I just find that absolutely fascinating. Yeah, you do. You... You become, you, obviously you're becoming like a little kind of conduit for the character and the story, but also sometimes you're allowing the audience to feel things that they didn't know they were going to feel, and that's really... It's powerful. Yeah, people are going for a kind of release of enjoyment or emotion, and, and they feel better afterwards because yeah. they've had a little mini cathartic experience watching the show because they feel connected to your character or your storytelling. But... um. Yeah, it's. I, I, I suppose I've always kind of wanted to, never really, as I said, I never really didn't want to do it. And I've always found it quite easy to emotionally connect to a character or, or a piece of storytelling that's just, um, and I, I think that's, I feel quite lucky that I've, that's something I've, I've never found that difficult. But I think that's but part of being in a musical or a long running show is being able to do that every day. Oh, yeah. You know. And I've heard yes. great film actors who I, brilliant actresses who I love speaking on the radio about how they did a play for the first time and they did it for three weeks and they were just, I don't know how they could, they could do it for any longer because it was so long, just recreating it every night every was night. so difficult. Whereas, because in film, often you rehearse it minimally so it stays really fresh and then you film it and it's really raw and really emotional, but it's recreating that eight shows a week for it's incredible. It is incredible. It's a different skill. That's the different skill of being a, in a long-running show. It's it's being able to make that truthful and, and meaningful. And presumably day. that's reading the audience each time as well and, and 
feeling like you're giving them a performance. Yeah, because you don't want to cheat them. Everyone's paid, they want to be there, and you want to give them, and it's part of my job, to be truthful and engage with this story and, and care and connect to the character and every night uh, in a, a, as much as I can. I mean, you're never going to be. Some nights you come off and you think, I was really good today. And some <laughs> nights you come off and go, oh, oh dear. Really in it. But you, you try your best to be consistent and recreate that. And that's part of the, the skill of a theatre actor, I think, being able to do it every night, get to that place where they can emotionally connect and be truthful every night. Thank you so, so, so much. Thanks I found it absolutely that. fascinating and exciting and all those things above. So thank you so much, Kirsty. I loved chatting to Kirsty. I hope you enjoyed listening. Unfortunately, Mama Mia is obviously not on at the moment due to COVID, but hopefully we'll see her coming back soon. Meanwhile, for more about me, please do follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn all under my name, Fiona Murden. Thanks so much for listening.